Monday edition of Locked On NBA. I'm David Locke, host of Locked On NBA, founder of the Locked On Podcast Network. And every Monday is the biggest stories in the NBA from the local experts that are the hosts of your Locked On podcast. We're going to go to the Bay Area, talk with Aliko Carter of Locked On Warriors about the Red Hot Warriors. How about the Pacers? Victor Oladipo did it last night again. And we're going to talk with Tony East about that. And the Timberwolves are a little bit of an enigma. Colton Molesky will give us a breakdown on that. So those are the three stops on the biggest stories in the NBA. Remember that everyone has a Locked On podcast for your favorite team. Make sure you subscribe and tell a few friends. LockedOn.com as well. LockedOnNBA.com or all of the others around the NBA. And make sure you subscribe to the Twitter account, LockedOnNBANet. LockedOnNBANet. All right, let's get to it. The biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts. Of course, it's brought to you by SeatGeek. Use the promo code LOCK to get a $20 rebate back on your first purchase from Seeking. You are Locked On the NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Our first stop on the biggest stories, local experts. We're going to go to Golden State. The Warriors are still, we can't get bored of them yet. And Aliko Carter is our host of Locked On Warriors. Does a fabulous job for us. Let's start off with the little disconcerting stuff, the injury to Steph Curry. Uh, Aliko, how concerned are people there on this? This is that same ankle. What's the concern level floating around on the Steph Curry front? Well, I'd say, you know, on a scale of 1 to 10, it's definitely somewhere around a 3. Um, you know, he's hurt his ankle before. Um, he's had ankle surgeries on both of his ankles. That right ankle has been repaired twice surgically, but that was five years ago. There hasn't really been any concern with it until now. He's had a few tweaks here and there, some tweaks in the playoffs, but uh, I don't think anybody's too worried. Um, and when you have four all-stars, you know, you don't want to hurry back the most important one when you're still winning games. So I think Steve Kerr is going to take him, um, you know, take it slow, and hopefully he'll be back by Christmas. So they go down on this road trip. They just played a six-game road trip. Their first one is L.A. They go to overtime. Steve Kerr afterwards just says, okay, we just haven't played. Like, we're not even paying attention. We're not even playing. And he basically says, like, I'm cool with it. Did they click in at any point in this road trip, or are they still coasting? Oh, they definitely clicked. I think the issue is everybody's clicking at a different time. You had a, a, a well, except for Clay Thompson. Clay Thompson has been as consistent as as you could possibly be. But you had, um, you know, Steph has his game. KD have his triple double. Um, and not everybody is playing extremely well at the same time. But enough people are playing well that they can bang out these games. Um, and I, it's also a big deal. Um, Steve Kerr's rotations have been just like um, crazy. So th- there, there isn't a lot of continuity because you've got these injuries and, um, you know, the rotations are changing every day. So nobody can expect to have the same um, amount of playing time that they did uh, the previous game. And, it, it, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's getting used to something. And I think by January, February, you know, the injuries will be a little bit less of an issue and the rotations will be a little bit more solid. And I think you'll see a little bit more um, everybody coming together to play well at the same time. Is there a method to the madness of Steve Curry's Curry's substitutions right now? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So what he loves to do is keep his rotations. Um, And so uh, that's why you see Quinn Cook starting in the place of of Stephen Curry, the uh, two-way G League player that we – 
that uh, is going back and forth uh, between the Santa Cruz Warriors and the Golden State Warriors uh, because Sean Livingston, you know, he wants he wants Sean to come off the bench and, and do the normal thing that he normally does, which is lead that second unit. Um, so there is a bit of a method to the madness. Um, there's a, and Steve Kerr likes to play all 15 players, um, which we really appreciate in uh, Oakland. And um, the reality is that there's so much garbage time that the Warriors play that we really get to see a lot of uh, what these guys can do. Nick Young, Omri Caspi, um, Kevon Looney, the young guy, uh, Pat McCaw, they're all playing extremely well right now. David West, um, and you know, I could I could go on. Uh, Jordan Bell, the rookie, is absolutely uh, on fire. So there is a method to the madness, um, but um, it's just you don't really see that very much in the NBA. Usually, teams are eight deep, nine deep. The Warriors are thirteen, fourteen deep. So um, it's it's exciting to watch. The Rockets are twenty and four. Their statistics are every bit as good as the Warriors. Is it caught anyone's attention? It's caught my attention. I spoke about the Rockets a lot um, in my previous pod on Thursday. Um, I think that the Rockets are – people are sleeping on the Rockets, and I don't understand how you can possibly do that. I'm really looking forward to the next time that the Warriors play the Rockets. They got them um, in that first game of the season at the last second. That was a great game. But the Warriors are playing a lot better now than they were at the beginning of the season, and, I, and the Rockets are playing a lot better than they were as well. They're top five. Uh, defense and top five offense, and since um, since uh, Chris Paul came back into uh, the fold, their defense has been absolutely incredible, and he's leading the league in assist to turnover ratio by a strong margin. So um, I'm looking forward to that next matchup, and uh, they just they they're not lo- losing games. But the thing about the Rockets is. They are the Warriors on um, on some sort of drug. It's insane. Uh, you've got James Harden shooting 11 threes a game. You've got Eric Gordon shooting uh, 10 threes a game. You've got uh, Trevor Ariza sh- shooting seven threes a game. Uh, Ryan Anderson shooting seven threes a game. I mean, they are chucking and they are making them, and it's incredible. Um, and the uh, the defense is there. The defense is just there. Clint Capella. Um, is having one of the most underrated big man seasons of the year uh, defensively. And um, you got to give credit to Chris Paul for bringing that defensive intensity and kind of spreading it around the uh, the organization because they're a top five defense right now, and it's beautiful. I can't talk, stop talking about James Harden, who I think might be one of the three best offensive players in the history of the NBA. And I can't stop talking about LeBron James because what he's doing is remarkable. Uh, very quietly, Kevin Durant is putting together just another kind of insane season uh, right now. His rebound numbers are down from last year. I think his assists are about the same. And he mm-hmm. it's a little quieter than last year. Is he the same? Is he better? How does he compare to what you saw last year? I think he's a little bit play- – he's playing more within himself. See, one, one of the things that the Warriors faithful have gotten used to is every now and then one of the three stars breaks out – or three or four stars breaks out for just like a game. So there's like a Clay game, a Steph game, a Kevin Durant game. And we haven't really had that yet. There has been no um, – um, just breakout, except, you know, Durant had that triple-double a few a few nights ago, but that's different than going out and scoring 50. Um, but um, Durant has had an incredible season, and I think it's just been highly consistent. You can go out and count on him to get 25 points, six boards, five assists, and two blocks 
every single night. That's what he's doing every single night. It's not going up and down and side to side. And he's shooting um, about uh, – well, he's on pace for a 50-40-86 right now, and I'm hoping that he can get his uh, his, his uh, free throw numbers up to get uh, that 50-40-90. To have more than one player on a team average 50-40-90 would be uh, – a statistical anomaly that the the NBA has never seen. Um, so I think that would be pretty cool. But he's averaging two blocks a game. Um, his defense, his length have been absolutely incredible. And I think that's where um, he gets the nod over a guy like James Harden. James Harden has been absolutely incredible. But you can't count on him to guard the best player on the perimeter. Um, you, you give that job to Chris Paul. Um, but uh, KD is holding it down on the back line. He's blocking shots. He's altering shots. He's uh, getting in people's faces, being a bulldog, um, which, you know, it was not his M.O. back when he was in Oklahoma City. So I think it's the defense that really makes me marvel, um, even though, you know, he can create any shot that he wants and is still probably the best offensive player in the NBA right now. Aliko Carter is the host of Locked On Warriors. Aliko, thank you very much for taking the time with us. Thank you, David. We'll jump over to Indiana next. Today's show is brought to you by SeatGeek. SeatGeek is the place for you to buy all of your tickets for any upcoming event, whether it's an NBA game, whether you're going to go to an NFL game as the season wraps up, theater, whatever it might be, and here's why. Because SeatGeek compiles all of the tickets in one spot for you right on your phone with the SeatGeek app. Then every ticket is given a ticket score. How great is that? Inside of an arena or a venue, you might not know, they rate every single ticket for you and tell you which is the best value. You can then put little filters on it so that you can put it inside your price range and see where you can end up inside of a building. Finally, it is secure when it is on your phone when the transaction is done. If you use the promo code LOCKED, you'll get a $20 rebate after your first purchase. So right now, go to your phone, download the SeatGeek app, then enter over to Settings tab, promo code, enter in LOCKED. This is how I'm getting my tickets to everything now. I set out price alerts for future events. I monitor things from around the country when we're going to be in cities, and I know it is the right way to do it because it's the easiest and best and most secure. It's SeatGeek. Download the app now. Next stop is to Indianapolis. Tony East is the host along with Adam Friedman of Locked on Pacers. Tony does great work. Also, you can catch his stuff at NBA Math, and we'll talk about one of those pieces. Coming into today, before they played the Nuggets, the Pacers had won three in a row. They were 15-11. and 11. Uh, This is a little surprising. Kevin Pritchard got panned pretty good for that trade by uh, for Paul George, and now all of a sudden this team is a half a game out of home court in the first round. Uh, Tony, is this a legitimate playoff team? Is this a legitimate knock on the door for, a Western, uh, for an Eastern Conference first-round home series? Uh, they're right there for the playoff push, David. You know, they, they really figured out this whole pushing the pace and working together with their offensive sets that Nate McMillan has them running. And I don't know if uh, home court's necessarily realistic given some of the teams right around them in the standings right now, and they've had a, a relatively easy schedule of late, but I still think the playoffs are almost a certainty at this point given how well a lot of the guys have been playing so far. How come they're better with Victor Oladipo than Paul George? Oladipo plays so well given with the, the guys around him, his uh, he got so cut this off season with the working out. I'm sure you saw the before and after pictures, uh, and his speed really caters to the guys around him. Like I just said, Darren Collison loves to push. Boyan Bogdanovich is perfect for spotting up on the break, and the big guys are really good in pick and pop situations. Once he gets down the court, he fits in with the team better than Paul George. Kind of slower, iso ball, 
style did, and it's uh, it's allowing him to score, and it's allowing him to look like such a dominant player on this team. So it sounds like a ridiculous question, but is it that actually true? Is this team better with Victor Oladipo than it was with Paul George? You know, it's a different roster, so it's tough to truly compare. But uh, they might just be, David. Uh, he has great chemistry with all the big men. He can push and pass better than Paul George did in transition. He's found a resurgent three-point shot being at 45%. Who knows how sustainable that is. But Paul George never even sniffed 40% in Indiana. So, you know, if uh, Voladipo can keep putting the ball in the hoop at the, at the rates he has been and leading the offense in a, in a way that Paul George never really did, then maybe, you know, maybe he is truly better than Paul George's role of leading the team. We well, you know what's what's interesting, kind of digging into the numbers because I it's one of the reasons we're having you on is I'm a bit mesmerized by it. But is how good a pick and roll player Oladipo is. If you look at some of the pick and roll numbers uh, that are out there, he's that his pick and roll combinations are really good with Sabonis with Miles Turner. Th- those two have become pretty good combinations for him, and actually even. Just a notch, not a lot better, but just a little bit better or equal to kind of where Paul George was a year ago, who was a pretty dynamite pick-and-roll player with his length. Yeah, it's uh, it's great for two reasons. One is that Miles Turner's uh, shooting threat ability makes him effective as a player in that situation just because, you know, he's able to pop out and the defense has to either stay with Oladipo or just get burned on the way to the rim. And whichever option they choose, someone's getting a good look uh, that caters to their strengths. And then DeMontis Sabonis, He's pretty one-dimensional with his left hand, and he's kind of a rim roller, but he set some of the best screens in the NBA, and given that he's only a 21-year-old kid, you know, you got to like to see that from him, and it allows him to be so effective. And uh, I haven't looked at the, the totals in about a week, but last time I had looked, they had run about 100 more pick-and-roll plays than any other team in the league, and they were scoring just as effectively as anyone on those plays. And given that they have such good screeners who are able to, you know, roll and know they're going to get the ball in a good position to score, uh, if they don't get the ball, that means Victor Oladipo or, you know, Collison or whoever had a great chance to score, you know, that that's just such a nice thing to have. And, you know, it makes you want to roll when you know you're going to get the ball. So, you know, those screenplays are really working out well for the team. And they have four guys in Collison, Oladipo, Joseph, and Stevenson who can all run it, which is nice. Yeah. <laughs> well, Stevenson can knows what he's supposed to do. He doesn't okay, always fair, do it correctly. But, but fair enough. The guys, yeah. Fair enough. We, Lance, Lance Stevenson lives in his own in his own little world. Uh, we're talking everything offensively. This has been a pretty good defensive team for Nate McMillan uh, so far this year. Uh, if I'm correct, maybe I'm not correct or as correct as I thought I was. Eighteenth in defensive rating. Yeah, I mean that's they're, they're not uh, they're not terrible, right? That's uh, I'm not sure. I thought they were going to be eighteenth. And I certainly I, I I we have talked everything offensively. I certainly didn't think they were going to go be the you know sixth best offensive team that they are in the league. And I think, uh, but over the recent stretch, I think they're the tenth best defensive team over the last ten games. Uh, is this team just is it actually pretty well rounded in that sense? Yeah, Oladipo's been a complete stud shutting down his matchup. Miles Turner, finally, you know, he had all the blocks before, but, you know, that anticipation has come into his own and he's become an, a borderline elite rim protector. Uh, they do struggle. I'd say their biggest defensive struggle is that they get killed when guys attack on the catch. But because Turner's so good around the rim, it only really is a is a detriment to the team when DeMontis Sabonis is in the game. Thad Young's a really reliable defender. Uh, Corey Joseph's an excellent defender. So, really, they only have one weak guy that's consistently weak in Towson. And then Bojan Bogdanovic, you know, he, he's been rated as one of the worst defenders in the league before, but he's really stepped up this year. He did an amazing job on DeMar DeRozan when they played in Indiana, held DeRozan to one of his worst shooting games of the year. You know, Stevenson's a really good wing defender. They just have a lot of guys who are, are good, uh, you know, one-on-one defenders and, you know, putting it all together. They're, they're figuring out how to work together. They're switching a lot because they have a lot of like-sized guys. 
so they're able to switch, you know, most sizes. They do everyone from Sabonis down through anyone who's taller than Corey Joseph, they switch. So, you know, they're really able to stay in front of guys and stop people, and it, it's been working a lot better than I thought. And, you know, 18th isn't like a world-beating defense, but I would have picked them before the season to be 26th, 25th range. So the fact that they're at 18th has been a big part of their success as well. All right, so the big story this week is going to be the return of Paul George. This seems like this could be one where there's a great level of vitriol and there's quite a quite a Pacer fan feeling that this guy really took it to us. What do you think the reaction's going to be? Uh, I think he's going to get booed because of the manner of which it happened. You know, people can want to play wherever they want, but the way he went about it just kind of was a huge punch to the gut to Pacers fans. And I, I, I'm not sure how the attitude or the, how the uh, atmosphere is going to be for the whole game, but I guarantee there'll be booze. And there's actually rumbles that he might not play in the game, which just started today, which would be very interesting, but it's going to be uh, the most hostile uh, banker's life's been in a long, long time. And it's, you know, it's, it's going to be quite the game to see uh, how it goes and how he handles that situation being back for the first time. You wrote this piece on NBA math about him as a player. What was your takeaway and what was the thesis of that piece at NBA math? Yeah, well, what I wanted to do is really dive into how he was playing so I could see, you know, how he's been switching teams. And it's a completely unique role for him, which is why it was kind of hard to analyze it because he's always been, you know, either the first or second fiddle when he played with Granger second and first uh, ever since Granger left. And now he's playing third fiddle. He's the third highest usage on the Thunder. And my thesis was, you know, he's still a, like his, his shooting splits are a little worse because he's getting less opportunities, but he's still a star. And now instead of proving it by being this, you know, elite scorer who can who can carry the Pacers. He's just killing it on the defensive end. He's absolutely destroying everyone in steals. He leads the league. He leads the league in deflections by over 20 deflections already. Uh, you know, he's shutting down the guy in front of him. And when he's in, the Thunder are able to run the break because of all those deflections and steals and loose balls he, he creates for the team. So his defense has been awesome. And I really wanted to dive in and look at that and then his, see uh, exactly where he's struggling on offense, which is mostly mid-range scoring and in isolation. And you know, just checking in on him really, really gives you a sense of what you're going to see from him in this game and, you know, how the, the Thunder, who you may have already heard about, you know, how they've been struggling with him on the floor in, in some capacities as well. Uh, final thing, Indiana 14 and 11, fifth in the uh, Eastern Conference. What is going on locally day to day that is allowing this that maybe uh, from 30,000 feet the national people aren't seeing that you have the insight? Yeah. Yeah, everyone in the locker room on the team says it's it's the healthiest environment they've ever played in. The guys absolutely trust each other and have tons of chemistry. I think, you know, half the team has their career high in assist numbers. Darren Collison, you know, a 10-year veteran, has two or three more assists per game than he's ever had before. They just really trust each other and are able to pass. They're always smiling and having fun. And, you know, they, no one's really like a bona fide leader, per se. You could say Oladipo is, even though he's new here but you know they just love being around each other and that it, it's weird to say that nothing on the court they're doing is really making them so so successful uh like more so than anything than chemistry but the chemistry in the locker room has really been huge for them and you can tell when they're talking to each other and smiling and doing goofy interviews and stuff that they're really just having a good time and it allows them to you know play their game and do their thing and trust each other and they've been really successful Tony, thank you very much. Great insight. Super work with you and Adam on Locked On Pacers and LockedOnPacers.com. Thank you very much. No problem, David. Thanks for having me. Our next stop is Minnesota. Colton Molesky is the host of Locked on Wolves. Does a nice job with it. And Colton, from 30,000 feet, this team, I can't get a grasp on it. So on one level, I say, wait a sec. They're the fourth seed. They're 15 and 11. Like, why would anybody be bothered by it? They've only, they only won 31 games last year. On the And, and frankly, Jimmy Butler's willing them to win. On the other end, I watch them, and 
the breakdowns are outrageous. A loss to the Grizzlies is absurd. Like, what is your vibe on this team right now? They're a team that's still really working on getting that offense in full sync, I think. And you see it when they are able to put up and top over 100 points against the Clippers, but against the Grizzlies team, like you mentioned, that just seems about as down as the Clippers are right now. They aren't able to reach that 100 mark, and this is a team where it really feels like the defense isn't to a point yet where they can win games consistently if they're not getting over 100 points. Why has Tom Thibodeau not been able to get this team to play defense? You know, there's been a lot of speculation that maybe this is this is just a, a problem that he's had, and there's been a little bit of a masking by the players he's had in Chicago where his defenses have struggled before, and he's just had better defenders on the, on the roster to cover it up. Uh, there's a lot of speculation that Towns just – is still so far away from where we want him to be as a defender. Uh, the entire city, really, where we want him to be as a defender, and he just got has to develop. Uh, it's a lot more of the perimeter, I think. I think a lot of it is brought to Towns and the way he plays in the middle, but you saw the Clippers with the 15 threes they had on uh, last Sunday, and then last Wednesday they shot another 10 threes they made. The perimeter defense has really struggled, and it's just guys not consistently closing out and sticking to their man on the outside, and screens from the from the top are really working against this team. The crazy thing about this is if you go back and look and last year's team didn't have Jimmy Butler's and obviously it was different with Ricky Ruby at the point guard, but they were 20th in the NBA defensively in the month of November. So you're like, okay, Tom Thibodeau's getting them to do their thing. Then they went to 27th in December. Then they went to 10th in January. So you're like, okay, okay, they're getting it. Then they went back to 25th in February and were 23rd. And then they closed the year as the worst defensive team in league in the final 10 games. So, you know, the comment you hear from coaches is, well, they got to build their habits and they got to learn their systems. This team just, it's on, off, on, off, off. And it's frankly probably on, off, off, on, off, off. Any thoughts on what that means or what that says about this group? I think that's just a testament to the the youth on the team and that they are really having trouble finding consistency, especially on the defensive side. I think that you have some really, especially Wiggins and Towns, you know that they're going to be pretty solid on offense basically every game they play. But on defense, it's really just a roller coaster ride. And as far as last year, too, I think some of those numbers are deceiving, especially when they jumped up in defense uh, uh, in January. Uh, They had some favorable matchups in that month and, they played some teams who maybe were just sliding into the uh, all-star break or towards the all-star break. I, I just think when you're looking at this team's defense this year, you just hopefully it progresses little by little. And it doesn't look like much when you're, when you're in the month or when you're in the season. But when we look back, uh, maybe come the all-star break, you can kind of see the progression of how it's gotten a little better, a little better. But right now it just seems like night in and night out, you have some guys who are progressing, but again, guys like Towns just aren't seeming to really get it or really click on the defensive side yet. And that's just going to take time more than anything else. And I know Timberwolves fans don't want to hear that, but that's and essentially what it comes down to is it's going to take some time for this team to get it, get it together on defense. Uh, the bigger issue, they've won 57% of their games, or maybe even 58. So they're, they're on pace to go win 47 games, which would be a monumental jump from 31. Does it feel like a 47-win team to you, or do you think that it's a shakier foundation than that? 
No, I think it feels like a 40-win team uh, just because of the, the talent they have on this team. Uh, the, obviously, the Jimmy Butler addition is huge, but also there's so much talent from top to bottom. You have a, solid players on the bench with Jamal Crawford. Tyus Jones will look really good when he's played a heavier amount of minutes, and obviously getting heavier amount of minutes from the bench unit is a little difficult on a Tom Thibodeau team, but you have guys who you know can produce off the bench. You have a really solid starting five just as far as their offense, and you have guys in Todd Gibson, Jimmy Butler, who are going to help that defense a little bit, and you have guys like like uh, Wiggins and even Teague has had some flashes on the defensive side. So this team has enough just raw talent to be to get that 40-win feel. And now you're just waiting for things to click and waiting for things to sync up to maybe even get a few more wins in that 40, 45 mark. Is this Jimmy Butler's team? A hundred percent, yes. A hundred percent, yes. And how has that manifested itself? Well, I think you see it a couple ways. I think you saw it early in the season when he was willing to take a little bit of a, a backseat just as far as scoring to help the team. Uh, I think that's a real leader move. I don't think you have an all-star player who's not a leader come in and then be willing to drop his, his point numbers to help other players score and help the team win games outside of him scoring points. And then you see it the last few games. You see him getting on players for the defense. You see him pulling wins out with his 30-point performances. And he's he's had the last four games, he's played over 40 minutes a game. So he is, he's doing everything you want a leader to do. And he is also a really great locker room presence. He's he's calling out guys like when Tyus Jones filled in fatigue off the bench. Uh, when he was injured, you had him really praising Tyus Jones and telling him what he was doing really well. You have him jumping on guys for not playing defense. I think this is everything you see from a true leader who is also an all-star. He's not just good. He's getting everybody who's around him to play better. What is the feeling about the amount of minutes these guys are playing? It's too many minutes. It's too many minutes because you you have them playing on back-to-backs. You have the starters, multiple starters playing over 40 minutes a game, and maybe that's fine early on, but if you play that way throughout the season, they're going to be gassed going into – going to the playoffs, and that's not what you want, especially when this is their first playoffs in a very long time. Final question for you. Keeps me up at night. Are you ready? I'm ready. Is Andrew Wiggins a good basketball player? Yes. He is a, he is a really good basketball player. I, I think a lot of people were skeptical, fairly skeptical, when he signed that big five-year, $148 million extension uh, over the summer. But you see his his floor is – a so-so defender who's really good at scoring and can post about 20 points a game. And his ceiling is so much higher than that. So that's his floor. That's pretty solid. His ceiling is so much higher than that. I think his defense will get a lot better. I think that if they consistently have him shooting on the outside, and like I said earlier, the offense is still working to get into sync, but if they consistently have him shooting more, especially from the perimeter, I think he's going to average probably around – 24, 25 points and be a real outside threat for them. I think that he can play all over the offense as well. He doesn't have to be that perimeter guy. He can play in the paint. He's really good driving to the basket. He can take the intermediate shot. He can play everywhere on the offense. And I really do think his defense is going to progress to a point where he might be a fringe all-star level guy, all-star guy. Well, be interesting. He's got me perplexed. I've said it on this show before. I actually think my viewpoint is he... Uh, I think you had to sign him, and you have my, my feeling. I could be wrong. I mean, I'm willing to like readdress this at some point. Is that you had to sign him, and now I think you might have to trade him. 
that you just have too many possessions that need to be used on that team and complementary pieces surrounding Carl Anthony Towns, Jimmy Butler, Jeff Teague, Taj Gibson, and the rest, and some more bench help that you could acquire via that would actually be more helpful than his 17, 18 possessions he uses a night. But, um, you know, he also who, just can score who, at who will. Who would you trade? I, I, that's who actually what I think is interesting. This is where I think it's fascinating is I actually don't know. I don't have an answer, but I actually think it's the type of trade where it would be made, and at the time it's made, everyone would freak out because it makes no sense, and how could they get only that, and then they would start winning, right? So, I mean, I almost think it's like three mm-hmm. complementary players that just give you – better minutes all the way around, move the basketball, get Jimmy Butler three more shots, get Carl Anthony Towns three more shots, disperse the 16 shots that he's taking every night and have more depth on the roster, and I think you're better off. It's a weird – it's kind of contrary to our natural instinct, right? Like if you were at a playground and you said you can have one Andrew Wiggins or three of these like rotation guys I'm talking about, you would always take Andrew Wiggins. Mm-hmm. But for that team, I think three rotation players might actually fit. So it's just a, you know, I don't have the answer on what that is, but. Well, the other way you talk about moving him to open up shots for other guys, I immediately think of a, a Nerlens Noel where he's really going to help the defense and you don't need to get Nerlens 16 shots a game for him to be effective. You can just dump it down into the paint a couple times to him and his defense is going to be the thing that really stands out as part of his game. Right, and, and so that, that's maybe a guy they can make a move for where he's not going to take away from the offensive Butler and Teague if you trade out him for Wiggins. I'm not saying this is a, but like a Danny Green type, right? So a good defender who takes seven yeah. shots a game. And you suddenly go grab two of those players and now all of a sudden you know, you have Jimmy Butler and another awesome wing defender and that, that's the concept that I'm talking about. And I, and understanding, I think you had to sign him. So I'm not being critical of Scott Layden and Tom Thibodeau and what they're doing. I just think that's the next step and it's, I think it's fascinating. Um, and I still can't figure out whether Andrew Wiggins helps anyone win yet. So he's going to be you know, is he the modern Antoine Walker has been the question I've been asking. It's fun. Colton, that's why we do it. Uh, give me the one biggest, uh, I always end the same question, uh, local expert on the feet floor with the team. Give me what's going on maybe from your perspective that you see every day that the national world is not seeing. Uh, this might be not quite as small, as local as you're thinking, but I feel like a lot of people, if you watch a couple of Timberwolves games, you think, think this. Tyus Jones needs more minutes. Tyus Jones needs more minutes. He needs to be averaging about 20 to 25 minutes a game instead of the, uh, I think, 17, 14 to 17 he's getting. Interesting. Very good stuff. Thank you, Colton. Appreciate it. It's Colton Molesky, Locked On Wolves, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Every Monday, we give you the biggest stories of the local experts. Thanks to Colton. Thanks to Tony. Thanks to Aliko for the break breakdowns of their teams. We'll keep you up to date. The One of the scouts is joining us later this week on Locked on NBA. Make sure you subscribe to your favorite Locked on NBA channel. And also, please give us a five-star review. We greatly appreciate it. This has been Locked on NBA, the biggest stories, the local experts, all part of the Locked on Podcast Network.